Breakfast on SEN. Let's get straight into our next guest. He's a must-follow on X or the old Twitter excellent tennis journalist. He's in the country for the Australian Open and he has been busy. His name's Ben Rothenberg. Ben, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. You've written a book, uh, Naomi Osaka's book, which honestly will, will be fascinating because there's a mystique and an intrigue around uh, Osaka and, and her upbringing and her, her personal life. How revealing did it get? I hope very. I hope that people learn a lot about Naomi. I think people who already have, have have said that they do, which is pretty gratifying. Yeah, I think she's someone who's been very talked about and very controversial to a lot of people, but also not very well understood. A lot of her early story and her childhood especially I was not really well known at all. And I do think it does a lot to inform uh, the adult she became and, and how she's navigated her way through the world and, and why at several turns that sort of course she's charted has, has raised uh, so much conversation, so much intrigue as you say, among the tennis viewing public and also a lot of broader culture that she's touched upon. Yeah, well, I mean, where will her, Where do you think the direction of her career will go to now? Because the on-court stuff is sort of secondary to the advocate that she has been in a number of important fields. Yeah, I think right now her focus is on the on-court right now, which it has not always been. That was not the case for the last couple of years, really. Obviously, part of that time she was off. Uh, pregnant, but while she was pregnant and after having her baby, she's really redoubled her, her efforts in tennis and really recommitted and, and shows a lot of drive for this. And she's saying she's going to play a much fuller schedule. She's been kind of a part-timer in the sport the last couple of years, but you know she's dusting herself off pretty cleanly after a tough first-round loss, playing a very informed uh, Caroline Garcia in the first round. And I think she's looking ahead to a, a pretty strong year. And, and the tennis she's played has been very good, actually, in these two tournaments she played so far in Melbourne and Brisbane. Check it out uh, in all good bookstores. It's a very striking front cover and fascinating read, no doubt. Just a quick one on that, but you, you recorded the uh, audio book version of it. What was that process like? I've always wondered about that. Oh, you know, actually, I only did a, a bit of it. I did the intro right. and uh, the acknowledgments at the end, and I actually left the the middle part, the, all the main chapters, to a professional uh, narrator to let her do that, <laughs> which that's, it, it's hard work. I mean, I've done radio and, and podcasts and stuff, but the sort of precision and, and things you need for an audiobook and the kind of acting and inflection you have to put into it. It's a, it's a big task. So I was happy to, to let the listeners uh, enjoy a professional rather than me bumbling my way through it. There's always issues off the court and none more so this year surrounding Alexander Zverev. Uh, give us your view on, on how the Australian Open has handled it. Um, for those unaware, he's been voted onto the ATP Players' Council despite facing a domestic violence charge in Germany. Uh, he's been questioned about it, as has the players that have voted him onto the council. How do you think the tournament itself and the players surrounding it and Alexander himself have handled it? Yeah, the tournament itself, I'll start there. They haven't had, had too much. I did notice that their Twitter account last night didn't give a single mention of his match, which was on Margaret Court Arena. It was a big showcase match, but they didn't tweet a single update of it. I wonder if that was just thinking that any mention of his name would spur mm. sort of backlash from the, the many you know, tennis fans on there who, who really have very strong feelings about Zverev and it's continued uh, promotion by many parts of the sport and think that's really in, in poor taste given what, what he's facing in Germany and, and the, the reality of the accusations he's facing, which he is denying, but still people, I think, kind of wish for more, more caution as things are still unsettled, you know, and the ATP players voting him onto the player council, I think, was, was pretty shocking uh, given that. that this is a very you know, sort of optional honor and that they chose Zverev who's in, in the midst of this uh, very messy situation. 
uh, was a strange state sort of uh, sentiment from the the locker room to be sending uh, to the public at least. And and the ATP has has done a lot to to brush the accusations under the rug. This is people may be confused. This is the second different uh, woman who's accusing Alexander Zverev of uh, domestic violence during their relationship. And this one is the the mother of his child, and he's denied both cases. The the first one, uh, Zverev's uh, previous ex-girlfriend, uh, the ATP launched an investigation, and it was found inconclusive. Basically, they said insufficient evidence to, to punish him in the end. Uh, so we don't know what the second the second case is in the court system. It's a bit different. It's in Germany, uh, and their prosecutors seem pretty confident in the case they have against Zverev. So we'll wait and see. The trial is set for, for May during the French Open, actually, which will be an, a, a distraction, I imagine, during mm-hmm. that tournament. Uh, Zverev doesn't have to be in person in court, uh, it appears. So... Yeah, it's, it's an unfolding situation, and the way he's been promoted, and including also I mentioned the Netflix series, Breakpoint, uh, in their second season, does an entire episode about Zverev without mentioning the allegations at all, um, which I think is also, not that Netflix is supposed to be journalism, but I think it's a pretty striking omission that leaves a pretty uh, incomplete picture of this character and what his what his mm. life is, including these days. Changing tact a little bit, Ben, what's been made around the sort of locker yeah. rooms, or what have you heard around this Fans coming in after every game. Is it really disrupting the players or how are they feeling about it? Because obviously there's a bit, a bit of commentary, but do you have much of an inside scoop on how the players are feeling about it? My sense from it is, is really that it's just more the shock of it happening the first time. It's just new and different. You know, I don't think they really understood that it should be a different practice at the Australian Open. These guys are very, and women are very used to certain protocols being held at almost any tennis tournament around the world. And obviously it can be lax on outer courts, but usually in the big stadiums, it's, it's a pretty tight ship for for when people are, are moving about. And so I think it's just a learning curve. I, I have to think that the, everyone will be used to this by, if not already by today, by the second round, their second match, by at least the weekend, I think this will fade down. I think players just have a bit of, of newness from it. I think they're used to playing through medium levels of distraction, but just sort of the, the slightly different rhythm of a match when you have to wait for people to sit down for an extra you know, 30 seconds it might be between, between games. It's just, I think, a slight uh, inconvenience that they'll get over. Uh, some strong backlash for Rafa Nadal, and, and you can understand why the highest-profile player to sign mm. on as an ambassador for the Saudi Tennis Federation. He won't be the last, though, will he, Ben? No, I mean, Saudi Arabia has clear designs on tennis, and they're making inroads. They have hosting this ATP Next Gen event they did last year in Jeddah, the first sort of uh, sanctioned tennis tournament to be held in Saudi Arabia. And yeah, and hiring Nadal shows... Uh, ability to have a pretty lucrative checkbook. I'm sure Nadal didn't come cheap for this situation, and we've seen the really off-the-scale amounts of money that the Saudis have thrown at, at golfers uh, for the last few years. Most recently, John Rahm signed like a half-billion-dollar deal. And so I don't know if tennis players will be quite that expensive for them or how it will work, but getting Nadal on board is, I think, a sign of, of things to come for sure. And, yeah, I think the sport is moving there. I saw there was an a ATP job opening recently posted on one of their websites that was – for location for the job is listed as Saudi Arabia. So they're, they're moving into that market. They're, they're committed. And it's a really a question of when, not if at this point, it seems like for the men's mm-hmm. tennis and women's tennis, maybe have a couple more hurdles with the, the treatment of women and in Saudi Arabia, getting a lot of uh, scrutiny and, and negativity and criticism. But uh, I think there's more likely than not, the women will be probably headed there in the near future as well. Some hard-hitting, heavy topics we've discussed with you. Less, less trivial ones. This morning we spoke about the the, the rule adjustment for the final set tiebreak, more so than just just playing until mm-hmm. you know you win by two games. Has that been a good rule change? I think overall it has. I mean, it, it doesn't. 
I, I sort of like the epic log matches. I, I remember watching, you know, in live blogging, actually, the Isner Mahout match at Wimbledon, gosh, about 12, 13 years ago now, where it went 70 68 in the fifth set. And that was such a bizarre spectacle that it really did capture the attention of the sporting world in a way that very few tennis matches do. And even, again, with Isner, again, years later, when he played a Wimbledon semifinal, it went like something like 24 22 or something like that against Kevin Anderson in the fifth set. Uh, those sort of matches can really stop time and break out of the sport, but those are those are flukes. Those are very rare. I think that, I think that's a good medium. I think the 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 ten points is is long. Actually, it doesn't feel quick. There's a lot of time in the ten point tiebreak for momentum swings and different things to happen. And we saw that with the Thanasi Kokonakis yesterday, lapsed back and forth in that ten point tiebreak at the mm-hmm. end. And I think it can lead to things being pretty climactic. And it feels a little special uh, compared to maybe just a seven point tiebreak you get in the other sets. Great to have you in the country, mate. Naomi Osaka, her journey to finding her power and her voice by you is available now in all good bookstores. Enjoy the rest of the tournament and thanks for your time. Yeah, cheers, guys. Thanks for having me. You should see the, the front cover of this book is just a portrait of Naomi. She's got the greatest hair of, of any person I think I've ever seen. Like, she's got this amazing, amazing hair, striking front cover of the book and Ben is an absolute star that there's nothing he doesn't know and he's not afraid to delve into sensitive issues relating to tennis and sports so you can uh, follow him on Twitter and he gives you some great coverage so Ben Rothenberg our guest uh, Graham Corns never answered our call uh, which is really disappointing we'll take that off Chad's always been the favourite <laughs> Phil and that's just solidified that this morning yeah he wouldn't have left Chad on red Exactly right. There's no way he would have. Uh, I can't believe we've flown through the morning. We'll be back to wrap it all up after this.